Today I'm talking to Jim Keyes, a former CEO of Blockbuster and 7-Eleven. Uh, welcome, Jim. Hello, Eli. Okay, so let, thank you for having me. No, no problem. So let's talk about, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, uh, but the, the, the big one is Blockbuster, which I'm sure a lot of people ask you about. Uh, so you were the yes. CEO, just to give some people some context, you were the CEO from 2000 and 2007 until 2011. And for those who don't know yes. what Blockbuster is, it was, a, it was a giant in the movie industry, in the movie space for renting out movies until Netflix came along and uh, Blockbuster didn't adapt quick enough. Uh, but, so can you, now that we, now that people know a bit more context, are you able to describe your journey into it? How did you become CEO? Yeah, first of all, I have to dispel that rumor that uh, Blockbuster was doing fine until Netflix came along and, oh, okay. and then Blockbuster didn't keep up because that is, that is, uh, it's a narrative that's out there, but it's wildly incorrect. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Oh. So here's what happened. Yeah. Um, Netflix started up in the late 1990s, you know, uh, by 2000, there was a rumor that Netflix actually came to Blockbuster and asked them if they wanted to buy the company for $50 million. Um, that, uh, at the time, Netflix was just starting up and there was really no reason for Blockbuster to buy Netflix, uh, especially for $50 million back then. But that is a, it's, it's part of the narrative. By the time I joined the company in 2007, Blockbuster and Netflix both had DVDs by mail, but neither had streaming video capabilities yet. The very first thing I did when I joined the company was to buy a company called MovieLink, which was created by the studios to control streaming. But their objective was to uh, get their arms around this future of streaming and create a world-class aggregated model so that you'd know all of the new movies, all of the best content was going to be there. They sold that business to Blockbuster, which gave us a huge advantage in the streaming business. But in 2007, if you recall bandwidth back then, it was terrible. Uh, a lot of buffering, very difficult to stream content of any kind back then, particularly long form content. So we were a little early in the game, but by 2008, the financial markets collapsed. Blockbuster had a billion dollars of debt. Um, we were unable to refinance that debt and we had to restructure the company. And that gave Netflix the advantage. Oh, so would, would Blockbuster have been able to progress as streaming, but due to the financial crash and to being, uh, being a billion in debt or however much it is in debt, that's what really caused them to, be, to go down? Yes, yes. We believe that at the time we had a superior model because... If you think about the difference between the two, we had access to all of the new releases. Netflix had a very long tail library of old movies. Yeah. We actually had an opportunity to buy even the old movies exclusively in 2007. But the cost to ex have exclusive access to those older movies was going to be about $100 million a year. And no one at the time knew how long it would take for bandwidth to be strong enough to be able to monetize that collection of older movies. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a huge um, pivot point where Blockbuster had the advantage with the acquisition of MovieLink, had the ability to tie up those older movies exclusively, which would have left Netflix having 
DVDs by mail. Um, but because of the economic crisis, the financial crisis, we weren't able to commit that $100 million that early in the game. And therefore, Netflix then began streaming and we uh, missed that window of opportunity. So I presume you bought the company, the streaming company, when you were, as soon as you became CEO? Yes. Oh, yes. Um... Within three months of joining the company. Oh, wow. That was, yes. that was quick. And is it, was there any other way? You said, I mean, it cost $100 million, so it wasn't financially viable uh, to, to, for Blockbuster. Uh, but $100 million a year, even worse, not just $100 million outright. But was there any way that Blockbuster could have progressed and actually gone ahead of Netflix despite the crisis? Yes, we had we had two or three other opportunities that that were possible. We had a deal with Google that um, most virtually no one knows about because this was a behind closed doors, uh, top to top negotiation between Blockbuster and Google, and the it would it would have been a fascinating deal because basically it would have taken YouTube that Google already owned, and YouTube would have been all free content, so all you know, non-studio um, uh, content would have gone through YouTube. Anything that had to do with TV, movies, uh, or paid content would go through Blockbuster. And we would have been side-by-side -side in the Google network, distribution network, YouTube for free, Blockbuster for anything paid. We would have had the opportunity then to aggregate old movies, new movies, TV, something that doesn't exist today, the ultimate aggregation model kind of like the Blockbuster store, if you will, used to be, we would have had that side by side. That deal was signed by my board. We were ready to move forward. It was before the Google board of directors. And a rumor came out that Blockbuster was going to file for bankruptcy because of the financial crisis and our difficulty in refinancing literally a third of our debt in 2009. And I received a call one day and they said, our boards decided we're going to wait until you uh, get through your financial crisis. And that killed the deal, basically. Oh, was, but that rumor was true, wasn't it? No, the rumor was not true. No, it wasn't. Uh, we were doing our best to. No, we were doing our best to avoid filing a bankruptcy. Blockbuster was actually a cash flow machine. So if you think of the model, yeah. we would rent a video. Uh, we would buy a video from the studios, say it was $15 uh, to rent the, the latest uh, Top Gun or whatever the latest release was at the time. We had 90-day credit terms from the studios. So we could rent that movie 20 times before we had to pay for it. So cash flow was never a problem. And the other thing is our leases were all very short-term leases because the company knew that ultimately the stores would be replaced by a streaming capability. So over the years, they didn't renegotiate long-term leases. They were short-term leases. The company actually had very little long-term obligation other than a billion dollars of debt. So uh, from a cash flow perspective, there was really no reason to file until, and this is what happened, the rumors of bankruptcy tend to be a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes because if if someone if 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 someone started to spread the rumor that Eli was going to be bankrupt, you know that would be a bad thing, right? And all of a sudden, your mortgage company might give you a call and say, "Hey, um, you know, we want to talk, right?" And 
all of your other friends who are lending you money might say, hey, we want to talk. And when they all ask for cash right away at the same time, it becomes a run on Eli's bank account. And that's kind of what happened to Blockbuster. This, the first studio, we, we were fine. We were able to refinance our debt at a very high interest rate, but we still had sufficient cash flow. But when the first studio showed signs of concern and said, we're going to take you from 90 days credit terms to cash, it was like falling dominoes. Then the others started to follow. And going from 90-day credit terms to cash credit terms took $300 million in cash, just like that, right out of the company. Oh, so it's really just literally the rumors create a ruin the company of all the people calling up and saying, this, we want our money back now, we're not giving you credits or whatever it is. Yes, yes. I, I affectionately have a term for this. I call it bankruptcy ink because there are, there are firms, whether they're law firms or restructuring firms or whatever that that look for troubled companies and they uh, like to uh, help those troubled companies in in working out a bankruptcy structure and uh, and and when when bankruptcy Inc descends upon an industry or a company uh, it's hard sometimes to avoid those rumors starting to spread into the marketplace and and the rumors are the worst thing because it's like anything else. A rumor can cause panic, a run on the market, if you will, a run on the bank, a run on the company. And that is more detrimental many times than the actual operations of the company itself. Oh, wow. That's, it's, and you, you, you were saying like how the whole, uh, the, whole, the whole blockbuster business model is almost geared towards uh, moving on and moving on to streaming and adapting with the times with the short-term leases and everything else you were doing. How, is there anything else yes. reflecting on this? Anything you could have done differently to make sure that you did adapt better or you could have stopped the rumors quicker or anything? Yes. The one thing I, I, I have a couple of things that I, I would have done differently. I, I wish I could have followed through with the original plan, which was to take the company private. Um, I approached Blockbuster. They didn't approach me. I approached them with a plan to uh, partner with private equity, take the company private, refinance its debt. So when I got there, the debt was already in crisis mode. They had violated several bank covenants. The banks were threatening to force them into bankruptcy. Um, I, my plan at the time was to refinance that debt with private equity, take it private, because we knew that doing this as a private company would be a lot easier than a public company. Public company transformations, dramatic transformations like the shift from DVD to digital are very difficult because in a public company world, as you know, the focus is on quarter for quarter to quarter. Mm -hmm, yeah. And to go to the street and say, you know, we've got a five-year plan here <laughs> and we're going to actually lose money like Netflix did because they were private at, or they were, they were public at the time, but they were seen as a, they had no debt and they were seen as sort of a future company. So people were willing to let them, uh, like Amazon or others, lose money for a period of time. Blockbuster was more comparing, compared to a, a Walmart. So if you think about Walmart versus Amazon, Amazon got a pass for many years. 
oh, they're losing money, but that's okay. They're building a future. Oh, so he, Walmart is a unique point of Amazon. Yeah. Pardon? That was a whole unique point of Amazon, how they grew so big. Exactly. Exactly. And they were given a pass. Yeah. Now, Walmart, if they if Walmart misses by a penny, their, their stock gets crushed. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And we were in a very similar situation uh, where we were a public company, you know, brick and mortar stores. If we missed our estimates by a little bit, our stock would get slammed. Meanwhile, Netflix was given a bit of a pass to be able to grow. Um, it was just, it, it is what it is. But recognizing that going in, that's why our plan was, my plan was take the company private, do the transformation without the glare of a public company, you know, quarter by quarter expectation, then relaunch as a public company when we're on the side, on the other side of this and streaming, streaming uh, uh, videos. Um, Carl Icahn was our lead director at the time. Uh, Carl is obviously, a, a, has a, a long history of financial success. And Carl said, basically, Jim, you're the operator. I'm the financial guy. You know, trust me on this. Just leave it, leave it a public company. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be private. It's fine. Well, none of us anticipated the financial crisis. Had we refinanced all of our debt in 2007, we would have slid right through the financial crisis without batting an eyelash and had no problems at all. But we missed that opportunity. The financial crisis caused us to have to refinance our debt in 2009 yeah. instead of 2007. And so by 2009, refinancing the debt, the banks were virtually shut for six months, 12 months in 2009. Do you think you would have been able to raise the money? I mean, raise those funds to go private before you joined in 2007 and you would have been able to raise the funds and gone private before the, the, the crisis hit? Yes, I'm very confident that we would have. We had already been having discussions with private equity. Uh, they saw the opportunity yeah. uh, to take the company into a digital realm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm very comfortable that we would have been able to get that refinancing done. But, you know, hindsight's 2020. It's easy for someone on the outside to say, Netflix crushed Blockbuster. Well, not really. The financial markets crushed Blockbuster. You know, there's been so many movies about this, about Netflix versus Blockbuster. I think you should sell the rights. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know, I know. Well, I'm starting now, but it, it's interesting because because of the book, um, I've just well, if, you know, if, written if this people, book. If people don't know about this book, tell us more about the book. Yeah, I've written the book. It's called Education is Freedom. And, the, you know, the purpose of it is... Uh, it, it, it's basically my path to having the privilege of running to uh, Fortune 500 companies. I had the opportunity to lead 7-Eleven, uh, spent 20 years there, um, had a very good run at 7-Eleven, and then had the opportunity to lead Blockbuster. And it all came down to uh, the ability to learn and to, uh, to use lifelong learning as a tool. Um, I credit everything, you know, I grew up uh, in, in very unfortunate circumstances with too many kids and too little money and wasn't expected to go to college, et cetera, et cetera. So education really was freedom for me. It was all about my own personal freedom. And I try to share that story. But in the course of emphasizing how important learning is for everybody, I also tell the, 
the learnings from the Blockbuster experience, from the 7-Eleven experience in the book. So it ends up being a bit of a roadmap for students, but it's also a roadmap for entrepreneurs or business people that, you know, want to understand the challenges of managing cash flow in turbulent times, for example. Oh, so uh, we'll put a link below uh, so people can purchase that if they want. Thank you. And uh, that was a good advert. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Well, it, it launches, uh, it's available for pre-order now, but it doesn't ship until February 27th. But uh, I'm excited about it and uh, been uh, out talking a lot about it and, 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 and shocked because what it's done is it's reignited the passion over the Blockbuster story. Uh, so it's giving me an opportunity to get out and tell the real story about Blockbuster. Wow. Um, you mentioned about 7-Eleven. So you started off, just to give people an idea of your career, so you start off in the, well, you didn't start, but you start off, you were in the CEO of 7-Eleven, then you went to uh, Blockbuster, but you were the CEO of 7-Eleven. Um, when was it? What, what, you, were, you joined in, the, in 2000 and then you left in 2005. But let's show people how successful you were because uh, let's give you all the credit. When you joined, the share of the stock price was $9. And when you left, it was $37.5, which is over four times. It's quite successful. We had a pretty good run. Yeah, it, it was actually. <laughs> yeah, and, and I actually joined before 2000. I joined the company in 1985. Yeah. Uh, so I was there actually for over 20 years um, and had the opportunity to sit in every chair. But there's something people forget about 7-Eleven. It was bankrupt in 1991. Really? So it went through, yes, it went through exactly the same thing that Blockbuster had gone through. That's why I had the confidence to take on the Blockbuster challenge. I had seen end to end the opportunity at 7-Eleven. And here's what happened. Um, uh, shortly after I joined the company, they did a leverage buyout. In other words, uh, this was back in the heyday in the, in the late eighties, there was a big push um, to take companies private, load them up with a lot of debt, and then uh, they would pay off the debt and a lot of the, the uh, original employees would benefit dramatically from this and people made a lot of money. 7-Eleven was talked into doing a leverage buyout. They were on the roadshow trying to sell investors on the idea of investing in a private company, 7-Eleven, taking it from the New York Stock Exchange to become a private company. In October of 1987, if you remember Black, Black Friday, I guess it was, uh, a really bad day in the stock market, one of the biggest stock market collapses of all time. And 7-Eleven was trying to take itself private. Well, they should have pulled that deal and stayed a public company, but they were already down the path, continued on, and funded $4 billion of debt at 165 to 17%. That's quite high. That's quite high rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine? It's like putting a corporation on your credit card. And how long, and how long was that for? So that was like, how long did they, pay, did they need to pay it back for? Well, many of those uh, instruments were five years uh, and, you know, it, or some, some were a little bit longer maturity, but it was a tremendous cash flow burden now because, you know, very similar to Blockbuster. Blockbuster had a billion dollars of debt. 7-Eleven at the time had $4 billion of debt. 
And um, so by 1990, 1991, 7-Eleven had to file for Chapter 11 restructuring. Almost went out of business. But for we were able to restructure the company, our licensee in Japan came in with an investment in the company. So they now had a, uh, an, an equity ownership in the new entity. We reemerged uh, from bankruptcy as a public company again in 1991. And the message and the story I tell in the book is that in adversity is opportunity, whether for an individual or a company, because 7-Eleven was on a trajectory of 10 years of same-store sales declines. Their business model was kind of broken. They had arguably invented the concept of convenience going all the way back to 1927 when the company was founded, but they had gotten themselves into a role of beer, soft drinks, and cigarettes. And everybody was selling those things. Everybody was open 24 hours. So 7-Eleven became more or less irrelevant. By, by restructuring the company and partnering with our Japanese licensee, I had the privilege of going over there and seeing, wow, they are selling fresh sushi in a 7-Eleven store, which we couldn't even get a hot dog right <laughs> in our stores in the United States. And they were selling fresh sushi. What they had figured out is they figured out that data was the key. And they used technology to put data in the hands of the operators, the store managers and employees, to be able to and build a logistics system that delivered fresh sushi into the, every store four times a day. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Phenomenal. At a cost lower than we had in the United States to deliver once a week. Yeah, it was phenomenal. A testament to the power of technology that they had harnessed and used it to transform 7-Eleven. So, of course, I copied the heck out of that. <laughs> brought it back here to the United States. It was like, that's awesome. We can do that. And we did. We brought it back to the United States, transformed uh, the business here. Went from 10 years of same-store sales decline to 10 years of same-store sales go, wow. increases. Uh, is yeah. that when did, that's what when did you bring that over was that in like 2000 2001 uh it was in the the 90s probably 95 ish oh before you were the ceo when you were still very high up but not ceo yet yeah no i i had the privilege of several really important uh steps along the way i had we emerged from bankruptcy i was the head of strategic planning which gave me a, a chance to lay the strategy uh for the company then they made me CFO in the early 90s, uh, 1993 ish, something in that, in that frame. By 1996 or so, they made me chief operating officer. And then ultimately, CEO by uh, 1999, they announced me uh, stepping into the CEO role. And so, I, I, the way I like to tell the story is I had a chance to lay out the, the, the strategic plan for the company. Yeah. Then I had a chance to finance it as CFO, a chance to execute it as chief operating officer, and then a chance to sell it again to the investment community. And then ultimately we sold the company to the Japanese licensee in 2005 with a, a tenfold increase in stock from uh, the 19, late 1990s. 
So it, was, it did, yeah, it did do very, very well. It did, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what, which gave me, yeah, sorry, that 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 gave me that gave me the confidence to say, I've I've seen the power of adversity and being able to transform a company. So Blockbuster wasn't intimidating. So, so you went it from very two years late, two three years later to Blockbuster. Do you think you are yes. overconfident? No, not at all. Uh, because I, I do think Blockbuster could have and should have been a huge success. Um, you know, I, I've coined the expression in, in the book, I, I use this, uh, that change is opportunity. Change equals opportunity. Well, if you think about the role of a CEO, change equals opportunity is the acronym for CEO, chief executive officer. It's, it's the role of a CEO to embrace change and to manage through it. Well, I saw that opportunity at Blockbuster to, to manage that change. And it's a delicate balance. You can't just say, we're going to have streaming. Well, somebody's got to pay for it, right? So it was a delicate balance of managing the cash flow from operations, making the stores better so that they could help to fund the future of streaming and balancing the timing. Well, what I didn't anticipate is the financial market collapse of 2008. I don't think very many people in the world could have anticipated that. And so that created an entirely new change dynamic that I had to manage as a CEO. But I went from let's change the company from DVDs to streaming to now let's change the company. Let's let's deal with the change of the financial markets and a billion dollars on a balance sheet that could force us into a chapter seven liquidation if I don't do something aggressively to save the company, which we ultimately did and sold it to Dish Networks. So you're talking about 7-Eleven. You said that uh, when it started to go down and there was a downward trend on the stores, uh, it was because there was nothing different. They started, they started, they might have started the trend, but there were, there were all the other convenience stores and they got boring. There was nothing different about them. They're all selling the same stuff, nothing unique. Uh, do you see that almost repetitive in what's happening in the streaming space now with Netflix, Amazon Prime, and all these other companies that the interface might be different, but it's all becoming the same? Exactly, exactly. And that was the that was the um, fear we had about just trying to copy Netflix. Um, a lot of people say you should have bought Netflix. Uh, I was uh, skewered at one point because I said the, the future is not, the competition is not Netflix. I said the competition is Google and Apple because I recognized that Netflix at the time was a one-trick pony. It had streaming, but it had only access to older movies. Well, I, I clearly 20 years down the road, that wasn't going to be enough. Now, Netflix, even after Blockbuster went away, they got a little bump from Blockbuster having to close its stores, but um, they were still running into problems with streaming, and so they had to pivot. If you remember, they started out with only access to a bunch of old movies, and then they made basically a $100 million bet on a streaming series, TV series called House of Cards. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, the people in the industry looked at that and said they are crazy because producing movies or TV shows, no one had ever had a streaming television series like that. And betting that much was a huge, huge gamble. But they had to differentiate. 
And had they not, they'd probably be gone by now because there are too many other ways you could access the older movies. So they were able to reinvent themselves from just a distribution company to a production company, basically. Um, and, and it worked. I mean, that's what that, now the question is, sorry, can they sustain that? Yeah. Can they sustain I mean, that's that what they've become before? so powerful out there. I think they're trying to release one movie or one series every week. Yes. Yes. But here's what's missing, yeah. I think. And this is, this is what we were trying to build. And I, I don't think it's there yet. We don't have the aggregator. So, you know, Netflix will be able to survive and do well by offering a lot of new content. But it would seem that there's a need for somebody to aggregate content because as a user, as a consumer, you don't want to have to figure out where do I see Top Gun? Where do I see the new Barbie movie? Uh, where do I see something that's old? Um, Bridge over the river Kwai. Who has that? Yeah. You know? Um, and, and that aggregating, that aggregation model really isn't in there in the market yet. I think it's coming, but uh, it'll be interesting to see who fulfills that. I would put my money on a on an Apple or a Google because of the base of their platform. Perhaps a dish. Maybe they bring the Blockbuster brand back, and they become that aggregator. You never know. And how, how do you think that could take place? Because would they be offered, uh, say, it's ten pounds or ten dollars a month, and it's everything. It's all it, all it all comes in that. So how is that how you'd look at it? No, I think the I think the ultimate model will be something similar to what Amazon has, where you've got a subscription capability, uh, and then if you've got uh, video on demand, if you want to see a new movie, the 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 problem, the limitation of a subscription model, the best way I can describe it is think of uh, the all you can eat buffet, right? It's great, you know, the Swedish meatballs, and you can go to the you get the 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 the, the, the large salad bar. I can. Just load up my plate. So you really know your way around all uh, these buffets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Been around for a while. Um, <laughs> but I can't get prime rib. I can't get a New York strip in the all-you-can-eat buffet. And there's a reason for yeah. that. It, 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 it's, 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 it's bulk food, right? And when a studio spends $500 million to make a new release... The last thing in the world they want to do is throw it in the pile of the all-you-can-eat buffet, right? They have to monetize it. So that, that's why the theater window, the cinema window, where you have to go to the movies, that's still a very important window to the studios because it helps them monetize that new release. They hope to have a big box office um, at, the, at the cinema. Then that next window is also very important, which is the ability for the Amazons or, or others to stream that movie on demand because they get a premium just for that movie, right? And then only then will it get tossed into the buffet table. So based on that, Makes sense. yeah, definitely. So based on that premise, you see Netflix, which is much more consumer friendly, I think is much more popular um, and it's so much easier to use. It's just got probably more, more videos. And because uh, like you said, on the other hand, you've got Amazon Prime, which is uh, you don't really have to pay for it because every, most people have a Prime subscription already. But you've got those add-ons for newer movies or more, more unique and more popular movies. So which is more financially viable? 
Well, today, it, and that's part of the problem, today no one has pulled it all together uh, to be able to make it financially viable uh, because it's they're close, but they're not quite there to the point where they've aggregated the content and they're able to have that consumer-friendly proposition of, you know, here's both the all-you-can-eat buffet and the fine dining all in one menu. Isn't that what Amazon Prime is trying to do? They're trying to get there. That, that, that really was why I said many years ago that Netflix wasn't really the competition for the future. It was more the Amazons of the world or the Apples of the world that would be able to be that aggregator long term. And it's because of their platform. They can also offset the cost of delivering movies to you with everything else they do. You know, it's a, it's a huge advantage for them. They have a distribution platform. It's kind of back to why I was trying to partner with Google. Yeah. I saw them as a, a superior distribution partner that as a blockbuster you know, we could have streaming capability, but we needed that distribution that a blockbuster that a that a Google had. I would have loved to have Apple as a partner at the time, but they had their own capability. They said we don't need Blockbuster. Yeah. Right? Oh wow, that's quite that's quite interesting. I mean it's it's a lot a lot of things people don't know, but it's oh wow. It's very different yeah. than the perception. Yeah, it's very different. You know, everyone likes to yeah, it, it, everyone got, likes to go to the easy answer. Oh, yeah, it's just like, uh, must be like, you know, Kodak. They didn't keep up with the technology or something. It's, everybody has the easy answer. I think all my questions are <laughs> planned out wrong now. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, okay. Well, so do you think Amazon, as it is right now, looks like they're going to be needing the space and taking over the space? Looks like they're, they're going to be taking over and be the future of the, the movie space? I think they have a very good shot at, at it now because um, they have evolved over time into, uh, you know, be a good source. I think Apple uh, has done a, a nice job with it. I think the uh, um, direct TV streaming now is, is doing a nice job with being able to aggregate a lot of both older movies through their content uh, and new releases. Um, I'll be I'll be anxious to see what Dish does because Dish still does own the blockbuster brand, and so I think Dish could emerge in the future as a player uh, in this industry. Oh, I hope they're not. I hope they're not going to try revive the blockbuster brand, but bring up bring up a new one. I hope they do. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know the, the blockbuster brand has some amazing, fierce loyalty. Everywhere I go in the world, I have people pull out of their wallet. They still carry around. It's like, why do you carry that around? They still carry that little blue card. It's 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 it is the strangest phenomenon, but there is such fierce loyalty, and I think it's 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 uh, you know, it's just I think it's a comfort thing. You know, people took such comfort in going to the Blockbuster store on Friday nights and getting their video. It was so, such a steeped into our culture for so many years that I, I think there's a warm spot in people's heart for the Blockbuster. I think it's, it's got the branding of it right now is almost as if it's an antique old company. I mean, it would definitely make for a good revival story, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, look at Apple, you know, Apple, uh, there was a time when Apple was, people thought they were going to go away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, just remember when was that? 
Well, it was uh, uh, John Scully, who's a, a wonderful man and friend of mine, uh, took over Apple for a time. Uh, they were going through a lot of transformation. Uh, Steve Jobs came back in. But in that period of time, you know, the Mac was sort of, you know, people didn't really think the iPhone hadn't come out yet. And there was a question about, will Apple make it in the future? Now look at them. Was that for the couple of years when Steve left? It was uh, Steve left, John Scully came in. They had some success with John Scully. Uh, then when Steve came back into Apple, they were in that period of that awkward period of transition. But uh, I remember distinctly at the time there was question about whether Apple would make it because the Mac was not a great tool. It, it hadn't evolved to where it has today. Um, it had potential. But Apple transformed itself. They were able to bring the iPhone out. The iPhone was probably the thing that really propelled them. Uh, and then the, the Mac improved over time. And then they, they, they were tremendously genius, I think, in the introduction of the Apple Store, um, the genius bar at the Apple Store, the ability for all your devices to be integrated so Apple successfully differentiated itself, where back in the day, they were still struggling with their differentiation. Do you see it nowadays as Apple versus everyone else? Like Because Samsung and other Androids are almost, they, there's no one as much USP or no much difference between them and Apple. And Apple is just, like you said, they've really created their own brand and their whole uniqueness. It's just all integrated together. Well, I think the question is, will, will Apple uh, suffer from what so many companies suffer? I call it big company disease that sets in and they slow down. They stop innovating. They stop adapting to change or they're slower to adapt to change. Um, that's why, why isn't IBM the leader in all things computer today? Arguably, they should have been, uh, but they, they got so big and so complex as a company I think they became, as just one person's opinion, almost their own worst enemy because they weren't as nimble as Apple or others or Dell uh, or others who were able to compete with them uh, in their own space. Um, so that, that, that remains to be seen. How will Apple evolve? I think they're very, very well positioned. But will they be able to continue to adapt? And again, that role of the CEO, change equals opportunity. The only thing that's consistent about business is change. Yeah. <laughs> it is going to change. What you see tomorrow is likely to be different than what we see today. So every change that you see or that you did see as a CEO, did you always see that as opportunity? Even if it looked terrible for that company, there was always an opportunity to use it. You know, I, tr I try to look at it that way because, you know, there's, it's not really change that matters. It's your response to change. And too often, we're, we're human. When, when change happens, especially if it's adverse change, you know, something terrible happens to you. Someone in the family passes away, whatever. Uh, a company that you're working for files for bankruptcy or, you know, has a big reduction in force. People put their head down, you know, and they're, they're, they're afraid. Fear is the big culprit that, that creeps in and makes it impossible to change. 
if instead you're able to keep your head up, eliminate the fear, you're not going to die from it for the most part. Most of these adverse things that happen to us, we're not going to die from. Um, and, and if you keep a positive attitude, even if you could die from it, even if it's something like some horrible disease, what we've proven over and over and over again is the more you have a positive attitude and a positive outlook, the better the chances of success. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's what uh, I, 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 I've always seen that as a differentiator for leadership. Those who can embrace change and have a favorable response to it rather than a negative response to the change are going to be what separates winners from losers. Oh, wow. So, so just, I mean, that's one tip for companies. And that, uh, can you give like a few tips for maybe, uh, maybe one or two big tips for smaller companies or just any company that's really looking to grow? Yeah. Um, the, the, for smaller companies, especially the blockbuster model is there's so much learning in that model uh, because cash flow for a smaller company, especially is your lifeblood. It, 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 it keeps you going. And for small companies, that delicate balance when change occurs of keep the accelerator down, we're going to grow this thing to, oh, wait a minute, we're in the middle of a financial crisis. I may not be able to borrow at reasonable rates. And those rates that are on the market today versus two years ago may put me out of business. Maybe I take the foot off the accelerator for a period of time and manage my expenses better. Um, those are the, those are the, 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 that's the need to flex the need to, again, it's not the change. would not your fault that the economy changed, how you respond to the change will make the difference between you succeeding, making it through the difficult time or failing. So t talking about change, I mean, you, you, like you say, it's how you react to change. Is there any way, is there any way, I mean, that, as blocks as blockbuster went through the financial crash as they were not not trans uh, not uh, being into a private company but as a public company is there any way they could have made it to the other side, the other side? yes they could have um you know i think in hindsight i could have done a better job of managing the spin because i knew that the fear was out there of blockbusters collapse um and if i you know with hindsight today I would have had a very different narrative around our plans, been more communicative, because in troubled times, you can't communicate enough. Uh, fear is that culprit. Fear is a horrible thing, because it creeps into the hearts and minds of employees, uh, of stakeholders, of shareholders, and of your um, suppliers. And in the case of Blockbuster, the fear in the hearts of the suppliers, the idea that they didn't want to be left holding the bag if we did file for bankruptcy, caused them to literally push us into bankruptcy. And could you reverse that with better communications? Yeah, probably. I, you know, I think I could have done a better job in hindsight, um, but that's easy to say today. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for joining. Um, I mean... Uh, we'll drop the link of your book in the description so people can purchase it to see the full story on Blockbuster, everything that happened, not what the media, not what they see in the movies, but what actually happened. Uh, <laughs> so thank, well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. you. Sure, I enjoyed it. I hope, uh, I hope it helps. I hope everyone uh, is able to use a couple of 
little nuggets from this and uh, and find their own success.